Uno, dos, tres. Trace in Spanish is three, and it is R. <laughs> that was that was a brilliant segue. Hardly anyone would ever even notice that. Yes, it's our third year anniversary, Adam. Yes, uh, October, I believe, seventeenth of two thousand seventeen. The first episode of Notes on Your Notes, Notes on Your Notes came out. It was born. Yes, and uh, over a hundred episodes later, and many classes and many events. Uh, live and online we are now celebrating our third anniversary and we always have a party on our anniversary that's right party party so this sunday at 5 p.m pacific time on zoom we will be having an amazing collection of writers and performers mm-hmm. and uh, we may even have some video appearances from people who can't make it uh, and it's going to be a really wonderful, wonderful way. So for fans of the show, we would love to love to see you. Yeah, it's a it's a free event. It's on Zoom. Everyone's invited. Invite your family and friends. And and, you know, this year I'm I'm going out on a limb, you know, and I'm offering free valet service. <laughs> yes. For our guy. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people skimp on that, but I don't. That's a, yeah, That's right. Yeah, uh, Josh will valet your phone so you can focus on your laptop <laughs> exclusively. Yeah. And Joshua, how do people get the link for the event? A couple ways. You can email us and I will personally send you the Zoom link. The other way is to check out our event page on our Facebook Notes on Your Notes page and the link will be there. Great. We are emailable as always at notesonyournotes at gmail. Um, and one other thing just for folks who can't get enough or who are looking at um, wanting to do their own writing and perhaps perform it at some point. The next cycle of four-week body of writing classes will begin uh, November 12th, Thursday, November 12th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. That Thursday group is an incredible group. So if you're interested in, in reserving a place, uh, just email us at notes on your notes on, at Gmail. It's going to be great. We're going to have two weeks before Thanksgiving, two weeks after Thanksgiving, and then a special surprise at the end. Yes. Uh, we can't wait to see everyone. Sunday. This Sunday, come hang out. Now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. Hey Adam, it's time for Notes on Your Notes. I'm Adam Lesser. And I'm Joshua Townsend. Uh, welcome to Notes on Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process and storytelling. Uh, another special day. Yes. As Josh and I yet again get to meet on Zoom. Yeah. Hi, Adam. <laughs> You're looking so good. You know, I'm feeling a little aloha today. <laughs> <laughs> Josh and I got so tired of each other. We were piping in people from the islands. Yeah. The islands, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have a very, very special guest today. Uh, her name is Kim Mariera. Did I Aloha. pronounce that correctly? No, but it's perfect. <laughs> We're going to do that again. How do you pronounce your last name? So the, the first two R's become an H and the last one is rolled. So Mujera. Oh, you're real Portuguese, eh? Huh? Yes, yes. Yeah. But Mujera is fine. <laughs> Mujera? Mujera? That's, that's the phonetic way of saying Mujera. it. Mujera. No? Mujera. Yeah. Mujera. 
There you Italian. go. In, in, in Spanish, you say mujer, which I think is woman or female. Yeah, mother. Yeah, yeah, mother. yeah, yeah. You, you know, I always say you can just call me Moo. That's like, it's easier. Not do that. <laughs> okay. M-U, not M-O-O. -O. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Spell your phonetic yes. right. Yes, Joshua, it is a very special day. We're joined today from Kauai by the wonderful Kim Mujiera. Uh, nice. All the way from the island of Kauai. Hmm. Kim, welcome to Notes on Your Notes. Thank you so much. I'm honored um, to be here with both of you today. We know Kim because of her wonderful uh, work long-term with creatives, artists uh, of many stripes, uh, and because uh, she showed me the wonderful land of Polahale when I lived yes. in, in my time in Kauai, for which I'm enormously grateful. Joshua, I know you have yeah. many things you want to dig in with Kim. I do, I do. And I want to say that, that uh, Kim first came on my radar because of the amazing Anne Randall. Oh, that's right. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so um, Anne just spoke so many. I mean, it's just buckets and buckets. And yeah, Anne really likes her. I was like, enough already. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about gushing. Talk about having gushing. a BFF. I mean, just like, it was just like, wow. It was like, whatever you guys did together, which, you know, I know you don't talk about you know, people and their work, but whatever you guys did together was, uh, you know, an unleashing of, of Anne's um, already prowess in the creative arts so um kudos to you and so i was like yeah, okay that sounds good that sounds good and then you know a few more times and then adam spoke very highly of you and i'm like all right already all we right must, we must we must we must have kim on notes on your notes so thank you for joining us you're welcome well when i met adam it was an immediate like oh you do podcasts on the creative process that's totally what my work is about oh it's about storytelling oh i come from a slightly different angle of storytelling but it just made sense that we should all be here at some point in our lives. I'm remembering that when we met, Kim, you had just returned from studying in England. I had. I went on a four-month sabbatical, and I had literally just landed my feet on the island again. And But the work you were studying in England was quite specific to the work you were doing, right, with your students about the creative process? Right. I'm formally trained as an, a creative arts therapist, and over the years, I've sort of leaned away from being so blatant about that in my languaging because people start to move away from me when I say therapy and when I say artist um, in some way because it, <laughs> most of those things can be very scary for people. So I realized that I needed to soften the language and just get people walking through the door and that the therapy happens when they start to rest and feel comfortable creating when it's not about product. Um, but alongside of that, you know, because I'm an, a creative arts therapist, the, the therapy part is very just near and dear to my heart. And I work a lot with people's biographies. And so I flew off to work one-on-one -on -one with a woman who did um, uh, training with me around biographical counseling and group work. And it's looking at people's biographies through kind of a panoramic bird's eye view and acknowledging planetary influences and cycles. So that's the work I had just come from doing, Adam. Wow, that's fantastic. What 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 kind was there a name on that? Is it like like uh, new paradigm astrology, or is there any code? Well, it's it comes out of the work of um, Rudolf Steiner, which he's not alive anymore. I don't know if either of you know, but I, a lot of my foundation is based in Steiner's work. So um, it comes out of his view of human evolution. And mm -hmm. I, being somebody who was a school teacher, a Waldorf teacher, and have a degree in child development, I've always loved human development. And to come at it from a planetary perspective just lights me up 
and I also really love cycles um, yeah. and understanding cycles and how they move, hence the creative process. Yeah. Um, so it just added a whole nother layer to my love of human development and working with people in a therapeutic way. And it's also artistic. In that, in that work, do you guys get into like cycles of seven, cycles of 11, Saturn return, 28 years? Uh, all of that. All of that. Okay. Mostly cycles of seven and each seven year cycle is ruled by a planet. Mm -hmm. And then we also look at moon nodes and Saturn returns and Jupiter returns and um, and, and Chiron re Chiron Chiron returns every sure. forty nine fifty years yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. wow powerful stuff mm -hmm. yeah because yeah. we are we are the planet right I mean we are the planets as well so right yeah, yeah. micro macro no yeah. difference yeah. nice. Sorry, I don't know what you, I think you guys were talking about. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> I was I was still thinking about. I was like, so Kim tricks people into therapy. I was like, wait, say that again. Kim tricks people into therapy by not using yeah, the yeah. keyword. <laughs> That's so funny. We I trick people. No, no, no. I I gently massage. I wasn't. Don't backtrack it. I was like, studio. that's brilliant. Okay. <laughs> I was like, come along, have some ice cream, and no, we're gonna draw. Totally, totally. It's no joke. I, it was fascinating to me when I first got my, my graduate, my postgraduate degree, how much people would literally lean away. It, it was, and I was like, wow, I, I need to find languaging that yeah. then I can bring it in later, but to get them just to kind of open up into being, having it be a possibility that they walk into an art studio. Yeah. Yeah. And that's funny because both those words are in your title, but both artists and therapy, that's hysterical. So when I was, when I was, uh, several years ago, I was eating predominantly raw living vegan foods. And as soon as I said raw food, people be like, Ew, what's that? Right. And as soon as I said living, living foods, they're like, Oh, what's that? So words do matter. You know, they shape, they shape the beginning of the conversation at least. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm curious, Kim, like what, this, because I've always been curious about your work and in, in the work you do around personal biography and working with clients around people with, you know, how they tell the biography of their life. What do you find that that experience is like for them? Like, what do you see? So much. We might need to hone that question in a little bit. You, you direct me as I. So as like, I let's say someone of... walks in the door and they're like, oh, I'm an artist and I'm trying to, I don't know where to start. And you say, perhaps let's talk to you about like the biography how we how would we tell the biography of your life and you might incorporate astrology and things like cycles and creative process and i'm just curious like what do you feel like it opens for them maybe is what i'm curious about like what starts what shifts do you start to see in people and and in this fantastical idea let's say the person's coming to you to celebrate their 28th birthday Oh, oh, that marker. Well, I would say it's very auspicious or that you're very archetypical and even walking through my door at 28, that that, that Saturn return has brought you through the door. Um, well, Adam, I think what happens, one, I think we need to kind of really be clear about there's the work I do in Create Yourself Awake, which is really all about creativity and opening you up. And then there's the biographical counseling, which is really a much deeper process and that the creative cycle is in that, but it's more about you and your story and your life. Um, so I think what happens is it's this amazing process where you methodically go through your life and I am hopefully a very skilled question asker, if that's, if we can articulate it that way, so that you're methodically, and we're writing it all down on this curve. And, um, what happens is you start to 
Usually when we go to counseling or we're processing something with somebody, we go to trauma and we go straight into that story and we tell it the same way we've always told it. But that's out of context because that trauma is here, but there's all of life happening in and around it at the same time. And so what I'm doing is I'm hopefully asking questions so that I fill in all those spaces of you realize like, oh, I actually had some really good friends during that trauma or this thing happened in my career during that time or wow i never thought about like there was a there was a woman who said you know through your work with perception building and observation and contextualizing the event i suddenly realized that car crash that i had i it came back to me the other day and because of our work together i was able to go above the car crash and see the people coming that helped and i looked at the sky and saw that it was a sunset like she it was the impact and that she had kind of honed in on this experience that was here. And she went like this and realized all these other things were actually accompanying the experience. And that bird's eye view allows us to hopefully get more of an, an objectivity to the story. Um, mm. So that's one thing that happens. I think also because of the way that the work is done, you start to realize, I always say there's self, other, and spirit. So it's like me and my life, right? You kind of carry your life along with you and you start to kind of soften into like, oh, there was this other and this other. And oh my gosh, that person I didn't even realize was supporting me and I never even knew who they were. That's happened so many times where there's this person which has never been met or named, but they were there in the background helping or influencing an event in your life. And so you start to see them as these kind of these helpers and also that you're not alone. And then if we even go bigger, you start to also realize in those in-between spaces of getting quiet and letting something else come in that there's actually a benevolent force that's always working through your life. And so for me, what happens is you kind of gain a, a, a deeper trust in existence. You also put yourself in the context of cycles of like, there was a woman we were, I was working with her and she said, oh, that was da-da-da. And I, I just sort of smiled and I said, oh, it was, what did I say? It was, um, it's very archetypical for that point in human development. And she'd never thought about it that way. She sort of thought it happened to me. Right. And I'm saying, well, actually everyone, not everyone, but people often have a really big thing that happens to them with their Saturn return. You're not special in that, you know, and that kind of bursts you out into like, oh, it's, it's not directed at me, but it's part of a human existence cycle that happens. And then how can we hold that and learn from it? Sorry, that was a long monologue. No, yeah, it's great. Mm -hmm. both. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so, so I don't know if I answered your question, but no, it's interesting. No, your biographical counseling work is really interesting to me. And I what I'm hearing is that people who go through that experience have a very large widening of their perspective. Yes. Perspective, perception, perspective, perception, yes. And then and to bring it into our work, uh, which is storytelling, uh, which has to do with point of view and point right. of view and perception and um, spaciousness right. and a bunch of other words also very helpful in terms of locating that particular point of view, either before or after the spaciousness um, or the transformation occurs. Uh, and that's that's germane to our work. And then also stepping into other people's points of view and not having a singular point exactly. of view. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that helps more spaciousness, more... Absolutely. Allowing. Yeah. And I believe that 
perception is a capacity that it's like a muscle. If we work it and exercise it, that it grows. And that growth, it's, it's not just, it's like this. Yeah. Right. Right. So in, in, in radio land, she's, uh, Oh, sorry. You know, using your hands, it's making a, a wider <laughs> gesture. So, it has so, to, <laughs> so it, it's width and depth and, you know, 360. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> I'm a visual artist. But I'm so with the eyes all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So perception is like that. And, and the more you perceive, the, you know, the more, the more possibilities there are and the more possibilities, the more, the more you can perceive. And it's like ever, ever expanding now. Yeah? It's ever expanding. And I work a lot with perception building in my group work, not as much in the one-on-ones because there's more I can do with a group of taking something like a mundane object or a postcard or a plant and really starting to go, okay, let's just look like it. Just look, let's look at the physical part of the plant and stay purely objective. Let's look at the vital life force of the plant. Let's look at the, um, the relationship of the plant to the outer world and, and human. And then let's look at the potential of the plant. And we, those little exercises that we do over and over and over again, again, just help to, it's sort of, we go in thinking we, that we are good perceivers, but it's an endless muscle to practice and build. And, and ultimately, I always say to be able to do the biography work, the more that we build our perception, the more that we're going to see self and other more clearly. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't want that? I mean, right. I well, as, as artists, we all want that because it yeah. gives us greater capacity, greater depth. So I'm going to throw down a gauntlet here because this is something I've okay. been working with and I find it endlessly interesting. And, um, you know, let's, let's open up some new perceptions around it. Um, there's that thing that happens when with most people that I've talked to, and they've all had this experience where, um, where I'm thinking about someone and then they call. Yeah. Oh, yes. uh-huh. And, and so that's really interesting to me, but then who's to say, did, did, did I start thinking about it or were they thinking about me? And because they were thinking about me, I picked up on it and then the phone call came. So who started, who started it? Right. And then the other way around is that, if I'm thinking about someone and then, and then they call. So it's like, who's originating the thought, who's, who's sending and who's receiving. And what I'm working on right now is, is, is tuning that up is being able to decipher, to discern when I'm originating the thought and I'm perhaps influencing someone else out there or they're thinking about me and I'm picking up on that. And it's a subtle difference, but it has to do with perception. So, Absolutely. And I would bring in the third entity or, Mm -hmm. or is it something bigger than both of you that's saying Adam and Joshua need to connect and that comes through and that's the impulse where the call comes from, right? So it's not arising from either of you. It's actually arising from a a space bigger than everyone. So you're taking it out of the, you're taking it non-binary and offering up. And so, and so, so that's, that would be like another level of sensitivity in terms of to decipher between, wow. So, that, well, and it, I mean, this is not a new concept, right? It's sort of like when in, an invention is made and they go, oh, wow, this invention was in America and in Istanbul at the same time. Right. right? So the invention was living out there and all that happened was this happened. Yeah. And poof, you know, there's a vessel. It's sort of like the invention is looking for the vessel. And if we can get quiet enough and spacious enough, then it can come through and then we act on it or we don't. And, and four minute mile, breaking four minute miles, breaking certain certain paradigms that, uh, that are held as tribal beliefs, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Or I could just email Adam. 
I'm kidding. Yeah, maybe Josh and I called each other because uh, we had a class in three hours we had to prepare for. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting because I was thinking about this just the other day because I was noticing that was happening to me more and more. I wasn't doing so much what you're doing of trying to fine tune and like who was who was mm -hmm. kind of initiating the the call forth. Mm -hmm. But I was just noticing it was happening more. And I thought, gosh, is this the quarantine where we've all kind of the level of busyness has rested yeah. a little, where we're open a little more, that things, that that can happen, where we're more receptive to it? Yeah. No. Yeah. The reason why I'm so interested in it is because that, that to me, this is one of the, um, the creative uh, uh, points, like an impulse. And to be able to, to discern the impulse and to, to have greater clarity around it helps me in terms of directionality, in terms of like riding that wave of that impulse. And so when I can be more attuned to it, as opposed to like something like, oh, well, that's just a fear-based thought of mine or, or some sort of limitation. And then what it, what, what it is that I'm acting on. Uh, we talked earlier about that thing about, about how improv is not really improv. Improv can sometimes just be like patterned behavior that is right. being repetitionally executed. And, right. to, and to break out of that is so key for any, any artist. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what sort of things do you work with to help people break out of habituated uh, responses, actually? Habituated responses. Well, I mean, it can go back to the biography work and it's uh, the other, other is very key in that because you know your life stories, but having me there to be the other and kind of probe or ask the right questions or, or um, initiate a silence in the right moment so that it's hopefully I'm offering the goal is that you see the story different, that there's an aha moment. So that's that. In Create Yourself Awake, I always say I, I'm really big on invitation. And just by inviting you into the studio, by you saying yes to that, then you're already initiating um, a different way of, you're initiating, you're inviting in the, the, you're saying yes to the experience, but you don't quite know what it is yet. So that's already kind of shaking the cauldron up and um, hopefully, you know, and I, the kind of work I do is I always, I am always very clear in the beginning, I do not teach technique. I don't know how to do that. My, my work as a creative arts therapist is to get you in the studio playing so that you get to explore and not be worried about, oh, I can't paint or I can't write or I can't act. It's sort of like, well, I don't, I don't care about those things. I just want you to get in and see what comes, see what you learn from dabbling. Did that address, mm -hmm. did I address your? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think sometimes um, what, it, what it comes up is like sometimes even I think when I work with other artists or Josh and I are working with students, it's that they can get in very narrow focus. Mm -hmm. And until there's someone to prod them and help them play in a different direction yeah. and be the impetus and provide both the energy and the structure for that, um, their creative thinking can get a little limited um, or like negative thinking can enter and um, that can sort of take over. And similarly, like to Josh's, the initial stuff that Josh brought up about what is the impetus, who is drawing what into in a, in a relationship, what's being, what's bringing that. I mean, to make it a little bit kitchen sink, I, I think that occurs in storytelling. I mean, I see that um, in film a lot in characters in the sense of like, it's very subtle in scenes who is initiating what emotional direction. 
And um, we, as I think audience members, can sense subtext very quickly what a character wants and feels in a scene, right? And if it's muddy or unclear, or if they act in a way that's inconsistent with that, it feels really off to us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think similarly, it's like maybe having an awareness around that, even having that need, like the reason someone would come into your workshop would, would, would have something to do, I would think, with their need to want to perceive in themselves a need to sort of engage with their creativity. Absolutely, beautifully said, Adam. And um, to kind of bring it back to what you both, you know, engage in so much is the creative, in, in the creative process, or I would like to say the creative cycle, because I do believe it's a cycle, um, a continuous wheel. I, the first block I do in my six month course course is all about the, the creative cycle of the creative process. So I introduce it through the five elements and I take people through and we, they're working on a project as I'm introducing this. And at the, at the end, once I take them through all the elements, um, I always say my, my wish or my intention for starting out the six months is so that you can begin to locate yourself there. Where are you? Are you aware of air or water? Are you really strong in one and not in another? And it's really, it's, there's no right or wrong. It's just once I become conscious that it is a cycle, that there is a process to it, that there's a continuation to it, that there's differences within it. It's not just one, one continuous mood or uh, structure that you can begin to hopefully grow and become more self-aware. And I, I think that's essential if you want to keep being creative, really. You know, it's a muscle and it can get weak. And I always say my, my intention when you come to my class is that it doesn't stop when you walk out the studio door. I've failed because we are all creative beings and that's why I like to use the word creativity instead of art. Um, and you can be creative in the way you walk or the way you talk or the way you interact with somebody. And my, my hope is that you, you spill that out into the mundane in life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, one of the things I've always liked about the way you set up your teaching is that it's long-term. Yeah. Well, because and that's so much part of my personality. I just, I used to do one-off classes on a particular theme and they'd be six weeks, you know, 10 weeks, once a week meeting once a week at a time and I always felt like we were just beginning when they would walk out the door and I just I I like to go deep and to go deep you need time and it's a process and it you know there can be moments when you get it but usually if you really pay attention there's these tiny little incremental moments that are happening along the way that are building capacity and awareness and growth yeah yeah, I, I like what you said about, um, you know, how art influences life and life influences art or, or creativity, or, you know, and, and to me, that's, I, I call that blurring the line so that, that there is no right. more line between, yeah, between that and that. What I have I a bumper. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What's your bumper sticker? Well, I was going to say, I had, I had a bumper sticker made. It's my little coin term of live life artfully. Yeah. Live life artfully. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And because so, when you, when you huh? say artfully, it becomes huh? a verb. Yes. Yes. Right. So it's a, it's in movement and I like that. Yeah. There's a, some rabbi I think wrote a book called God is a verb or something. And then someone else mm -hmm. wrote a book says life is a verb. Love is a verb. Love is yeah. a verb. Yeah. We're just verbing. 
We're verbing. We're verbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's um, there was a word that I, I came to the other day that didn't have that didn't have an ing even though it was a verb. It was like on it was like on the ver it wasn't verging. It was, it was some word like that, like ready to pounce, or it was like a stillness. It was very interesting. But what I wanted to share about this thing was, was which I, I'm also grappling with this right now, which is very interesting again, which is I, the character, the person, I pick stories that support my point of view about how I see myself in the world. And That's even- That's so funny, yeah. Yeah, and even even if if the event doesn't happen in a certain way, I will interpret it to make sure yes. that it still fits within my paradigm. And so, to give up to give up the story, which a lot of us talk about, give up the story. To give up the story is, in some way, to give up who we see who we see ourselves as, which is incredibly challenging, and and having to drop that. So, in your work, uh, when that does come up, what you know, like, how do you set up people? To, to, to work through that and, and what's your experience? You can steer me another direction if I'm not kind of in your complete train of thought, but what came up for me when you said that is I'm, I'm doing a, an oral storytelling class right now. I'm a lover of the oral story. And, and when I say oral storytelling, especially with my biography work, it's not biographical stories. It's tried and true old myths, fables, legends. I love working with those old stories. So that's what we're doing. So, so like the, the Iliad, the Odyssey, you know, short stuff like that, just. <laughs> think fairy tale. I'm always like, think fairy tale. It's a much easier, the Iliad. Yeah, okay. we're, we're, we're Jack not telling, the, yeah, yeah, Jack, Jack and the Beanstalk. Beanstalk. Perfect, perfect. Because, because I have, I feel like Jack and the Beanstalk was created because of cacao There you go, cacao, there you go. Cacao beans are magical and you eat them and you go up to, yeah. you know, you, you theobromelin takes you up yeah. to your crown chakra. And then there the giant go. is the, is, yeah, okay, all right. Josh is wielding a full-on <laughs> cacao bean very aggressively. I, I got it. I got it in LA. Very aggressively. So, look at that. In honor of Kim. Separated by a screen. <laughs> That's so funny. Kim, if, 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 you were in our, if you were in our studio, we would have bought for you at Erewhon's a very specific cacao bar that was handpicked for you. And because wow. we couldn't do that today because of time. I brought the actual bean. Yeah, there we go. Pod. The actual yeah. pod. And you know, people say, well, this is bean to bar. I go, I go, no, I don't do bean to bar. I go, I go, I go treat a mouth. <laughs> you treat just go treat mouth. a mouth. You're radical. You're right. Radical. No, no middleman, baby. Yeah, no, no middleman. So, um, yes. So the oral tradition, yes. The oral tradition. So I was just doing um, a class the other day on, I work another sort of, I don't know what you call it. Another incarnation in my life was um, I was a body worker and I worked um, very deeply with an Ayurvedic doctor. So speaking from kind of an Eastern tradition or languaging, um, I think constitutionally, so or elementally, when I when I meet a person, I'm like, oh, they're very airy. That's a fiery personality. Wow, there's a lot of water in that human, right? So I, I that's how I sort of orientate. And I think my work with constitution and understanding constitution has been one of my greatest teachers in life. In in in. Uh, acceptance of another or compassion of really understanding like, oh, their fire is, I don't have a lot of fire in me. I have a whole lot of earth and air. So the fire people can kind of, but I'm like, oh, right, it's fire. That's who they are. Okay. Bringing it back to story in my class, you know, I was, I introduced these different temperaments or constitutions elementally. I, I like the elements. And I said, you know, here's where I go with this. One, 
if you are primarily fire, because we're always a combination of them, you're going to probably grab the story that has that is fiery. You're going to lean into the stories that already have that element running through it. So there's that aspect of being aware of like, oh, well, if you want to stretch yourself, maybe try out a story that's a little more watery so that you just kind of like, oh, what does this element feel like in my body? Just that intention and doing that is already starting to balance your constitution. Mm -hmm. Then there's how you tell it, right? And, and we can get into like, well, there's my storytelling style, but then there's being true to the elements in the story. Because even though you may have chosen a primarily dominant fiery story, there's probably water, earth, and air in there as well. And so can you start to recognize where those elements are in the story, where those characters are, and can you be true to them? So it's kind of finding that um, the truth to the emotionality or the internal world behind and bringing voice to that. But then there's also the audience. And I, I like to really tune into that because that one's often forgotten. That is guaranteed if you have a, you know, enough people in the audience that you're going to have sure. all four or five, depending on what model you use, constitutions or temperaments in the audience. Mm -hmm. And if you are a really super fiery person, and that's how you tell, you've lost all the water, earth, and air, right? You're speaking to a certain, because those are the people that are, the other people are going to have a trigger or they're going to dream off because it's just, they just don't have a relationship to it. And so how can we make sure that we're tending to yeah right yeah um yeah on all those different levels you know the story the self and the audience yeah the other the other element is which is what you brought in the first which is balancing out within the self because if i balance out within the self within the person within the character within the individual then i have a greater opportunity to then transmute that to an audience because i have that element alive in me when yes. I was teaching up at Hollyhock, I had everyone go around the circle and I go, okay, what's your dominant element? Right. First I ask people, are you an introvert or an extrovert? I asked them a bunch of other questions first. And they're like, well, 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 like that, right? Kind of middle of the road, right? But as soon as I brought in the elements, 15 out of 15 people went fire, water, earth. And there was like so direct. And then, I, and then I did the other side. I said, if that's your dominant, then what are you, what are you, what's the smallest yeah. amount in you? And then, and then it became that week was then t we were referencing back to growing the other elements. It's not to say that you can, you know, you're not going to be a strong fire anymore, but let's bring up some air because fire loves air. Right. Right? And let well, it and coming back to what I was originally saying with the creative process and my in create yourself awake when I work with that, it's, you know, I just, I can usually, cause I've you know, I have a friend that calls me a creative warrior. Like, that's what I do. I watch people create all the time. That's my job. I'm always watching. Um, so I can usually pick up on it pretty quickly. Like, oh, I need to, and I'll just slip something in front of them or I'll make a subtle suggestion because I'm noticing that that's their, that's their weak link. And I don't even need to necessarily make it conscious, mm -hmm. but if they have an experience of it inside their body, that's visceral. Mm -hmm then we can access it again. It's that locating. Like, can I locate a fire experience? Can I locate an air experience? Do I even know what that means? And yeah. that's, such, that's such a different paradigm than knowing something by your head and then yeah. not oh, being yeah. able to execute it. And, and, well, for, and, yeah. and for me, knowing something by your head without the ability to execute is, is for nothing. Uh, yeah, Adam, yes. What, what, you were saying something? Adam? No, I was just going to say, like, even as teachers or working with people, I think that's always like the challenge. It's one thing to see. It's another thing to be able to guide someone to have that experience. If someone comes in with a very specific um, orientation towards how they work creatively and you're saying, OK, well, let's try it this way. 
yeah. and that, because that's an underdeveloped part of how you work, right? And um, the, the trick I would say in that situation is finding a way in which it becomes curious for them, yes. in which they can yes. access it. Yes. Because knowing, as Joshua said, knowing it intellectually is unhelpful. In fact, sometimes when they have an awareness of it intellectually, it's counterproductive. Sometimes right. if just inv inviting them to come in and try it, something different than what they're used to, um, whether it's a character, whether it's a way of writing a sentence, whether it's um, a color palette that's going to represent a different part of their reality, um, doing that in a, in a really sort of skillful way is, is the challenge. Well, and, you know, years ago, I, I just finally accepted that, you know, I can call myself an art therapist, I can call myself a massage therapist, but really what I am is a teacher. That's my background. I'm an, I'm an elementary Waldorf school teacher. And I say this almost in any new group that I'm, that I'm in because I find it so powerful. And it's just, it's so simple. It's the way that um, Rudolf Steiner looks at the human being. If I were to stand up, I'd say, there's my head, which holds my brain, and that's my thinking. Then there's my torso, which has my rhythmical system, my organs, and my heart, right? So it's my emotions. And then there's my limbs, which is what I go out and I do in the world with, right? So it's how I do, I call it the will. So if you break that in, down into three words, it's the thinking, the feeling, and the willing. The willing is the action. And as a school teacher, it was just, you know, in my training, it was drilled into us. If you're not engaging the thinking, the feeling, and the willing in every lesson, then you're not doing holistic education. Mm. And as children, you know, there's also children learn first by doing, and then you awaken the feeling, and then you have them think about it. But they need to have it in their hands first. Adults are the opposite. You engage their mind, bring it down into the heart, and then have them do it. And it's like, it's when you feel, I always try and say, do you feel the difference in a class or a lesson that I do where I've made that conscious? Whereas if I just come in and I'm lecturing at you or I'm talking at you the whole time or you're only writing or thinking, right? Writing, that's not a good example because writing can very much be feeling and willing also. But it's an engagement of those three things that, that you're actually literally speaking to the entire human organism. Well, I was just gonna say, so, so Adam, I think the point is that is that it is it's a skill set and we may be passionate or know our information but it doesn't mean we know how to deliver it or draw it out of people in a way where they feel filled up and rich when they leave the room i want to see a little more rosiness in the cheeks and a little bit more light in the eyes when they're walking out the door yeah yeah it's some of that is some of that is timing though you know it's like what you were talking about adam is like well when do you do that as someone who's leading or the experience is is trust and it's also timing you know it's like when do you add when do you ask a fiery person to bring more water in yeah you know yeah. it's like yeah it's, that's an yeah. integral part of that oh that and that's such a sensitivity thing of yeah yeah yeah. What are you going to say, Adam? No, no, no. I mean, uh, yes. I mean, that has very much to like the quality of trust in any sort of relationship that occurs and, and the extent to which yeah. people open or don't, depending well, on... Hence my working over long periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I get it. It's like, you know, people need safety to express themselves mm -hmm. and to explore different parts of them their, themselves. And similarly, um, just because people know they have a patterning, whether it's in their story they tell about their lives or in their default for how they approach their creative work. I think where, where the, like the transcendence comes from is when 
a facilitator or any person in a relationship helps them to consider a different possibility in a way that is, and in a way that um, doesn't cause them to sort of dig in. Yeah, it causes them rather to consider that yeah. that alternative possibility and that opening because in in that space then to bring it back to what you were talking about earlier, where like that larger perspective um, sort of can, can grow in, in, in a writer or a exactly. human being and an artist. Um, and mm -hmm. unfortunately, I feel like we don't always train teachers and facilitators in that skill. We train them in delivering a set of information um, consistently in some sort of systematic way. And you know, like, and you know that better than anyone because like you have so much experience as a Steiner teacher, right? Which was trying yeah. to, which was trying to dissect that model and do it differently. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe actually for people who have no um, understanding of what Steiner education is, maybe you could give them the 60 second explanation. Well, I kind of already did. I'll just bring it back a little more consciously. So Waldorf education is the largest private school movement globally it's been around for a long time some sometimes when i mention in the world people go oh that's that education that's based on art <laughs> and i always i always like to correct that because especially just my passion with creativity and art is that art is not a separate subject it's used to teach math science economics and so it's it's not it's not that you go to an art class it's integrated into literally and that's the feeling like that I'm using the art to awaken the heart. So um, it's an, it's a comprehensive, it's, I think the biggest thing for me is it's the, I studied child development and education before I went and kind of dived in, dove into my Steiner stuff. Um, and it's the most comprehensive view of child development I've ever found, which is what led me into a deeper view of like the entire human development. Um, and it's the truest form of holistic education. I hear people throughout holistic education all the time. And when I actually experience the curriculum or watch the teaching, I go, eh, yeah, I don't yeah. really see, you know. So it's again, looking at the whole human being, like I had said, and, and, and really teaching to that. It also has a spiritual component to it. So um, as teachers, I'm holding karma, destiny, the child's spirit in a big way where I never need to articulate it, but I'm holding that container as I, um, as I move through. See, we live in a world where everything's like sliced and diced and chopped up. And so we always want a segment like these are the arts and sciences or, or, or sorry, this is art and this is science and this is math and this is PE and this is, and that's just so not true, A. And B, it goes into our, our larger life when people go, so how's your work-life balance? And I'm like, why are you, why are you separating work and life? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or personal time. It's like, yeah. it, this is all one, th one flow. And there's going to be times where I do more or less work. And then when you talk about balance, do you mean balance on the day, on the week, on the year, on the decade, yeah. uh, on a life? Yeah. And I, I just feel like people have put so much pressure on the segment segmentization. It's mm -hmm. just like completely out of balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? I think I heard a, a cock crow. Cock crow. <laughs> I was reminded of Anne Randolph's Kauai. church. Yeah. Oh yeah, they are. Well, and my land is, yeah, whatever. They're, they're just part of, I don't even hear them. I do hear them, but they're, they're part of the soundscape here. Yeah. yeah. For those who have never visited Kauai, they're about 17 and a half million 
<laughs> wild chickens. Wild chickens running around the island. Talking about not separating <laughs> Joshua. They are just part of everyday life. They are not in the coop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In the coop. Yeah. On your front doorstep. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You're up before you're up. And, you know, we're all here to create, and it doesn't make a difference what that creation is. It could be creating a business. It could be creating a yeah. work of art. It could be reading a play. It could be creating, yes. a, creating a life, creating right. a home, right? Um, right. And, and, you know, to hold that and to, and to see it into its full execution, it's sort of like that thing of um, uh, the, the Buddhist monks who do the, uh, the sand mandalas, you know? They create no matter what. And, and I feel like that in our culture, we, we're so result-driven that we – since we don't, we may not get the result we want. We don't even create. I mean, do do you find people coming in through your door with that all the time? And again, that's why I start my course with the creative process because what I find is oftentimes they'll hit a particular element, or you know, because it, the elements are just one way of looking at it. There's so many different forms, but they're they're kind of moving along, and they they hit a point, and it's not working the way it doesn't feel good anymore. Mm -hmm. So they jump out of it, and they abandon it. But if you understand that like, oh, this is my weak link, or like I always say, doubt is part of the creative process. If you understand that and you can just hold it, then you don't let it paralyze you and stop. It's like, no, there's something on the other side of that as well. It's just, it's actually serves a purpose in the, in, in the stretch and in the learning and in the growing. Um, so yes, I find that all the time when people come into the studio. And, and again, that's why I like to open it with bringing the process conscious so that hopefully you have the courage or the understanding or the momentum to trust trust the cycle yeah it's so it's one thing that's coming up that was so interesting to me because i think about this a lot um is beyond because i think this speaks to that sense of doubt sometimes i experience lack of confidence and security around that in some students um is this encouraging of them to share their art with the world um, and taking that step. Um, and there's a part of it, I think, that has to do with claiming your identity mm -hmm. and being willing to come out to your friends and also to yourself that I am X, that's part of my identity. I'm an artist, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a painter, I'm a writer. Um, as a form of, of dealing with that, and also about dealing with the fact that that sharing, whatever I share is not always my perfect ideal of what I thought it would be. It is wherever I am in that process. And I'm just curious, because I know for you, like what you feel about that and how you, how it, if, if that plays out with some of your, the people you work with. All the time. In fact, I've had a woman that's done Create Yourself Awake two or three times and the mask making is, the final project that we do and she's never finished a mask and we were having a walk the other day and i said so talk to me about what's like why you've never really finished and she said because you keep talking about it being mythic and i don't have anything mythic in my mind when i'm and so i just and i thought oh interesting she's not allowing herself to just play She's, she's thinking it needs to mean something, whereas some people think it needs to look like something or the writing needs to be good enough. And my encouragement is, oh, can you just use it as an exploration? And I think through that exploring, we possibly get to something that is of a, a quality that is, you know, 
something that people want to, I'm never, I'm not in, I'm not into products. Like I, I, you know, so, but of something that then is of a certain something that you feel good about. But my thing is like, why do we need to like it? <laughs> right. Can we yeah. just be, can I just be listening to the paintbrush and like, oh, I realized today that if I hold it differently, then I get this stroke happening. Right. Or, um, or today I learned through working with a mask is such an easy window into this of, you know, I always say at some point the mask takes on its own life force. You know, you need to birth it and you've got this thing and you've got an idea and you're working it. But then at some point the mask starts speaking to you <laughs> and then it's a relationship. And so today I learned, I heard the mask. And so it was like, that's enough. Like how beautiful and let that be part of that. It doesn't need to be that you're just plowing into a product. Yeah. I, yeah. Leonard Cohen said towards in his later creative years that he stopped being interested in what people thought of his, of his music yeah. and his poetry um, right. and was much more interested in what the experience was for him to create it. And then also to some extent, what, just how it affected people, whether it was, you know, what, what the, what the impact was and the experience rather than uh, identifying it as good or bad, you know, and, and that, you know, that I, I think that is, everyone has a different, entry point for that yeah. in terms of where they start and progress towards that some people never do some people start at a point where they just are much less fearful there you know people come in mm -hmm. at different levels but it's certainly if you can get people to that point it takes away the pressure it takes away the pressure which makes them less creative yeah, yeah pressure and and yeah pressure creates less spaciousness that's for sure yeah. What one thing that you brought up just now was um, the thing about liking it. And when you said, you know, what's the big deal about liking it? I'm like, yeah, what we really want is engagement. You know, yes. That was my next thought was engagement. And then I went, wait a minute. What's interesting is, is that in my day to day life, in my day to day life, when I go through life, it's nice to have nice engagements with people at the market, at the post office, at the bank, wherever it is. Right. Um, but it's the ones that that I find mm, annoying or turbulent for me, which create like not happy engagement which is 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 fodder for me to work with yes so so if i if i take yes. on that perspective in my art then i go oh good i had i had an engagement where it's it's bugging me that means there's something for me to work with yes. here yeah so that's yeah. that puts a whole new spin on 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 the in, in terms of development because adam and i are very much into you know development not just um exactly product yeah mm-hmm well, and interestingly enough, I was sort of open when I do my introduction, when people walk in, they're coming in to spend six months with me. They have no idea what they're going to get into. And I, and I organize sections. I, I use the term blocks, but people keep telling me that's the wrong term to use, but it's, uh, it's a Steiner term. So I do themes, right? So we're doing the creative process and then we do biography work and then we do mask making and um, storytelling or whatever it is. And I always open the whole six months by saying there is going to be a section in the class or something that you don't like. And my invitation is that you just begin to understand why you don't like it. I'm not, that's the juicy bit for me. Like, oh, I got to a place that's like, you're uncomfortable, right? And that's where the stretch happens. That's where I get really lit up. Because if you're really, if you come in and you're just comfortable and everything, it's a lovely, you know, kind of balm over something that you've already sort of mastered. But if I meet a point in you where that's just a little bit, you're trying to move, you know, a little bit to the side, then I go, that's where we, that's where I can, you know, that's where we get to dance. 
and hopefully there's a stretch of growth and engagement and yeah so yes spaciousness spaciousness yeah it's the final frontier it's the final frontier <laughs> and you kim what are you creating i know you're creating beautiful uh classes and facilitation and sessions for people but you have other creative outlets i imagine i love that you asked that adam because there has been something um i mean i actually say that you know my art is working with people doing art like that's you know my art is the teaching of the so but quarantine no classes my work sort of halted except for the biographical counseling that i can do virtually um so I was hanging out with Josh, who I don't know if Joshua knows, but I know that Adam knows. And um, he Josh said, I feel, everybody. Yes. He said, I feel like the coronavirus is this creature that comes up and bites us on the heel and then runs off. And the visual artist in me, he's, he goes video, I go visual, went just lights and things started going off in my head. And I, with a friend, came home and spent two weeks just completely obsessed love that place um with creating a, a we call him covid creating a covid creature that um is made out of armature and plaster and all kinds of i mean it's just this i'll send you a picture later but it's just this amazing dynamic thing and what was coming out of the conversation and the why and like why are you doing this you know i had a friend who actually would not look at a picture of it <laughs> But I had found this article that a friend sent me because she said, you know, I think you need to like dematerialize that thing at the end because, you know, Josh wants to make a video. And in my mind, I went, oh, I didn't really think about that, like coming from a more shamanic perspective. But then she sent this article from NPR that the Japanese have this tradition of um, creating what's called a yokai. And it's literally they say, we want you to draw this yokai and it helps to ward off disease. And so it's sort of like, I feel like that's what we were doing or I was doing with that um, was um, taking that concept of like, well, if I work with it with my hands and I bring it into the visual world, the power decreases. So that's what I've been working on, Adam. Right. That was a long story. Good to for say. you. Yeah, that's so I've good been... because, you know, this time is interesting. Some people are using it to fuel their creativity and to use the time by themselves to express to explore new aspects of their creativity um and i i say this following without any judgment other people feel very paralyzed and anxious and creative well i did it. feel paralyzed in the very beginning people said oh, you must be going crazy in your studio and i was like no i I've, there's nothing but then there was a moment where it happened but for the first i'd say four weeks yeah no i felt very paralyzed and wasn't able to work with it i'm curious work. what the turn was for you good question I don't know a slow digester of information and experiences and I think that just my personality I feel really deep, deeply and very sensitive so I think I, I needed to go in and alchemize that before then I could go out with my hands hmm. I don't know if there was a particular thing other than time so take yeah. time all right thanks <laughs> Thanks for accepting that. Yeah, we're gonna take. We're gonna go back to the judges on this. Okay. Uh, um, and I am thrilled to hear that uh, Josh Harrelson 
um, played some small role or large role maybe and you feel like that you'll he'll movie it and then he'll play a bigger role but right now COVID's yeah. you know got it yeah for those who don't know Josh uh, Haraldson is a, a wonderful filmmaker very visually gifted storyteller lives on the island of Kauai a giver in many ways oh yeah very much yeah Josh, yeah. Josh Townsend question yes anything else well, you know, there's, um, I'm just feeling into like this thing. There's this thing that, that I work with is, which is um, time does not equal depth. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a very interesting thing because, you know, I also feel like, you know, it, it takes time to go through different phases of development. It's true. And it's time that, you know, time, you, you can't replace time for sprouting and growing and deepening that root systems take as long as they take right and at the same time we can also we can also no go pun intended <laughs> no pun intended we can go beyond time and that time in it you know what i'm saying is you know what i'm really saying here is what i'm saying is time in and of itself does not create depth because i know people that have been in romantic relationships for five years and they have literally literally no depth and i know people that have been in romantic relationships for a month and they have incredible depth mm -hmm. so it's not about just time so I want to throw that out into our mix in terms of showing up to the um, to the creative process and and working with the underlying principles predominantly, and then knowing, trusting, allowing that those things will 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 shoot amazing roots throughout any future project. Does that does that resonate with with your experience? Well, yes. I mean. I like to, I have the, I, I say something often. I say time has been de-stretchy <laughs> and I, I mean, like I said early on, I like a longer, maybe time is not the right, you know, like I'm, I like a longer duration. Yes. <laughs> duration is good. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I would just say, yes, I agree with you. There's nothing like big and profound that's coming up. It, it, constitution comes up for me and thinking about, you know, I'm a slow digester. It's, you know, I'm an, I'm an earth element. So it just, it kind of goes through this. That's me, but somebody who's like this there, you know, there might be more depth, but it's also it depends on what the experience is. You know, it's so, there's no, um, time is interesting, especially right now. Time is, I think we're in an interesting uh, time and time is, is what I feel like is happening right now in, in COVID is that it's shaking up the cellular makeup of how we look at time or how we experience time. And ultimately, I think that's a, a good thing. We've got more time. Maybe we have less time. There's, there's been a lot of time alone. So reference point for this experience so the time feels um, maybe unsafe we don't know what's going to happen in time you know all of that kind of stuff so um i think i went off subject for you not, not at all back. not, not oh, at all okay yeah, I'm, I'm right with you because because what i'm hearing is that in, in natural disasters and in personal disasters right in 9 11 you know huge disaster for mm -hmm. this nation time slowed down people started to make other yeah. choices they got married you know they split apart they did a bazillion one things that they couldn't yeah. before and then in personal tragedies people say they're in an automobile accident and when right. it hits them, everything slows down so yeah everyone yeah 
So, so time and, you know, as artists, as creatives, we only work with two, well, one of the two primary things we work with is time and space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when time changes, so does our space. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's right on. <laughs> and Brené, I don't know if you know Brené Brown or have listened sure. to any of it. She, she coined this, she did a podcast fairly early on in the quarantine called FFT, First Fucking Time. It's so brilliant. And it was really the whole podcast is about how we're all in first fucking times right now. And nobody knows how to, like, she was kind of really going into the internal process in a more, um, you know, psychological way of exploring, like, what happens when we encounter something for the first time and there's no, there's no, there's no navigational uh, manual to help us navigate this first fucking time whether and she she likened it a lot to zoom you know a lot of people are having a first fucking time on zoom sorry am i am i is it okay to say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're right, done okay. um it's over um yeah dubbed over beep beep um <laughs> who's this fucking crazy woman from i know right? she's Kauai, <laughs> dropping oh, yeah, Kauai, yeah, one of those Kauai. The I thought they're supposed to be all chill out there <laughs> f-bomb yeah <laughs> So she talked about everyone's uncomfortability of sort of navigating technology right now because they're they're on the that can be and and it was so speaking to me because I had just taught my first Zoom class and um whew, I was ready to just throw the towel in. I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't like it. There was not you know, and it was like it's your first fucking time. Like give it give it a moment. Allow it to be a process. It's uncomfortable. It's not your normal realm, but you've never done it before. So Adam and I are having some really interesting experiences because, um, well, first of all, I want to, I want to share about listening and yeah, full body listening. So let's get back to full body listening because that's critical for every, every human being on the planet, let alone artists uh, and creatives and creators. But Adam and I had an experience the other day where we had that beautiful like feeling after about an hour and a half of sharing, right, Adam, in, in one of our classes? Yes, right, Adam. we <laughs> often... <laughs> Oh, right, Adam? No, no, I don't yes. know. Right, Adam? Yeah. Adam, it wasn't a it, it, was our, it was our salon night. It was our salon night. Do you, yeah. that, do you remember that sensation that we all experienced? So, Josh and I periodically hold story nights for um, storytellers, and we decided to do it on Zoom because that was our only option. Because <laughs> what else are we going to do? And our students were really, like, not wanting – they were a little – I would say they wanted to do it, but they also were concerned about what it would feel like, what the audience would feel like. And by the end of it, there was a very um, generous, sort of joyous, high level of energy in the room afterwards. You know, and I, you know, Josh and I both got emails afterwards from people saying, oh my God, I'm so glad I did it. I'd been hesitant. I was buzzing afterwards. I think that that comes from two things personally. I think it comes from um, the sense of support that a warm environment has for people and their creativity. And I think also for people who have been willing to enter a depth of creativity as all of the people who showed up to that, Josh and I have worked with them, um, they need that experience of being seen. Yeah. And they need the experience of being able to share as does the audience. Yeah. The audience needs the experience of having hearing an authentic story from another person. Otherwise, there's a deep sense of I am alone. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of what, that's what I notice, right? Like, that's why I notice. And that's also why I, 
prefer to work in a longer time horizon with people because you know it's like it creates this opportunity to both develop creatively and then also usually opens up the possibility of sharing when that person and and when that possibility of sharing for someone is going to be different at different stages of their development people are going to have different levels of confidence of security of safety yeah. of willingness um, of courage at different points um so that was, I guess, what I would say there. Also, I just wanted to add that full body listening sounds like um, late night Skinamax for new age people. So I look forward to watching. Oh, thank watching you, Adam. That. Thank you, Adam. Full body I listening. I just want to be clear on that. I don't want any rights for that, Josh. I, I, I did a whole thing at Hollyhock Holly last year called Full Body Listening. No one brought up cinematic or whatever. We know where your head is, Adam. <laughs> yeah, you're the one wearing the beanie. I have to say, yeah. quarantine has been good for me. So. Uh. Okay, nice. But uh, I do want to. I, I do want to close this out on on the theme of listening because I feel like listening is is uh, a very, it's very, everything. It's a very and it's everything and it's a very tricky subject and that it doesn't listening doesn't mean squelching yourself. Listening means. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about listening. Let's let's talk about listening. Nah, isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> listening. Yeah, that's, that is funny. Irony. Um, well, where do we start? Tell me what full body, body listening means to you. Adam, I think we'll enjoy to kind of hear. Yeah, that. I would yeah. love to know. Yeah, so let's go, go ahead, Adam. There. Jump yeah. in, Adam. You're the excited one. <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking me what full body? I'm not the one who brought it up. Uh, <laughs> oh, but you brought it up. I didn't bring it up. Um, I would say that uh, what comes up, firstly, I mean, if we were to bring it around to the level of story and character, which is what I'm often dealing with in my own creativity and with other people, um, I think we want to be conscious as artists, not just whether we're listening cognitively um, with our brain to the information someone is telling us, but also if we are aware of the emotional yeah. feeling we are having from being around someone, um, the way a character is feeling around the movements of another character in a scene, around their actions, um, all of these things that, because if, you know, I'm trying to make it concrete in the sense, because sometimes I will read scenes and I get the feeling that the writer only knows the dialogue that is being transmitted between the two characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. He or she does not know how that dialogue is entering the emotional space, um, the decision-making choice space, the sensory space. Um, is the other character starting to sweat? Is the other character right. starting to feel anxiety? Um, they don't have a huge awareness around it. And it's an advanced thing to figure out. And some people yeah. can do it intuitively and some people can't. But it is a question that I try to, you know, at least raise among the creative writing people who I encounter with. And I don't think it's limited to the writing space. I think it probably exists in the visual arts world and music. It's huge in music. I mean, I see this all the time in performance. Like if you go to a jazz club, you can just see the way the bassist is feeling. Yeah. The, the, you know, it's like if you've ever seen a bassist who is responsible for maintaining um, a, a sense of rhythm, but also where we are quarterly in, in a jazz ensemble, you can really see the extent to which they are feeling it in their whole body. Yeah. Musicians, it's easy to see because it's a less purely cognitive modality. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's how I think about it. I don't know. Joshua, how do you think about it? 
Um, full body listening. Um, I'm aware of myself. I'm aware of the other. I'm aware of the space between us. Uh, I'm not. I'm not believing just the words, you know, which is what you're talking about. Just the words. I'm look. I'm listening to the space between the words. Um, I'm. I'm listening to the past. I'm listening to the future. I mean, I don't. I, I know these, these are big things, but but when I'm really opening up that space that's what I do my best to be in. And I need to be in a certain space. I need to hold a certain space so I can be available to that kind of listening. Uh, otherwise I'm just, I'm just, you know, a bundle of reactions. Yeah. Um, and when I say body, I also, I say body in text, but in, in reality, I mean bodies multiple because we all have multiple bodies and, you know, listening to, listening to that on that realm. And then also how the communication is rippling uh, into the environment. Like I just had a conversation with someone and I hit a, I hit a, I hit a, you know, a little uneasy spot. And as soon as I hit the uneasy spot, the, the, the gardener was out there trimming, trimming the hedge in a very loud way. And I'm like, huh, okay. Yeah. Got it. That's so yeah. that's another level of listening. And then yeah. as an artist, you want to bring that in. So it's not just something that happens in life because that happens in life. You can, you can then replicate it in your art. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's a quick soundbite for me, Kim, a, a, a soundbite on listening for everyone? Well, there's a few things that are coming up when I'm listening to you both. Um, one, when I hear the term full body listening and not you know, having a definition in front of me of what it means to you. I, I've been working with a private client recently and one of my intentions is to help an integration of, oh, my stomach was really, I couldn't, and then these words are coming out of her mouth, but then she's telling me what's going on in her head. And so I'm like, oh, we want this to come into alignment. Like you're listening to what your stomach's telling you because it's giving you a message. You're listening to your body. You're listening to the words that are actually entering the environment and, and are they in, in alignment with what's happening with your body and the voice in your head. The voice in her head was totally different than what was coming out of her mouth. And then I get this, she's, then she's telling me this thing's going on in her body. And I'm like, oh, how can we bring all of these together so that there's a, there's a unification happening internally? So that was one thing that came up for me when I heard full body listening. Um, so there's this coined term in the biography world that is, um, we want the, the being and the becoming to be supported in our listening. So we want the being and the becoming to be supported in our listening. So I'm listening to somebody or somebody's, and I'm listening to what's really, it's like what you're saying, like listening to those in-between spaces. It's sort of I'm listening and I'm going, but I, I see the potential or where this person is, is becoming, and I want to support that in my listening, right? So I'm, I'm supporting what's here right now in front of us, but I'm also supporting this, this thing that, this potential that is um, bigger than what's happening right now. Um, there's that. And then I'm going to bring it back to this thing of self, other, and spirit. So when I'm working biographically with people, this was just such an eye-opener for me of, in my training. And I said to my teacher, I said, I feel like I'll be mastering this for lifetimes. Like I, you know, she said, when you're listening to somebody, don't forget about the pause, right? Where there's no words. Like, what are you listening to? You're not listening to words anymore. But that silence of listening to this, like you said, the space in between, but it's not even, I'm not trying to figure it out in my head. I just really get silent so that 
spirit can drop in and have a voice. So I always like to say like there's three entities in a conversation, self, other, and something bigger than us, right? So can I leave room for that voice that isn't a, a, a tangible voice? And can it inform us both? Because in those silent spaces, and sometimes they're a little uncomfortable, it's sort of like you go, it's, it just leaves room for that ether to be there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And from space, form enters, right? From space, the aha enters. Yeah. So how can we be sensitive to not only the, the actual, we're listening to another, we're listening to ourselves, but can we leave space for another entity as well? So I don't know. That's that's where I went with it. Yeah, that's fantastic. It reminds me of, of that thing about music, right? Uh, uh, the, the silence between the notes are just as important. As uh, absolutely, they're e they're essential. You yeah. have garbly goop if you. Yeah. Do. Otherwise, so, yeah, yeah. Adam, that was perfect. What you know, bringing it in, definitely. So yeah. what I want uh, what I want to drop in is something that you just mentioned, Kim, which we can use in our in our writing world or storytelling world, which is that thing of holding the. the the two objects at the same time, which is self and the future self or the, mm -hmm. the yet to be self or the ideal self. Um, and, and, and a storytelling capacity, it's a great thing to utilize as a technique is that you would actually drop that in at like at the halfway mark of the narrative of, of the potentiality of where the character's going. Mm. As a part of them, you know, like seeing their future and then either agreeing or denying it or somehow getting it squelched again so they can continue the journey. Right. Um, that kind of foreshadowing is fantastic as a, as a way of paying off in the in the final act. So th th there's some hardcore technique for any storytellers out there. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky one, isn't it? Because there's this. It's tricky because you don't want to squelch the person in the moment, right? Right, and yeah. you don't want to be like, well, this is what you're becoming, right? That's not. Right. It's it's not an end product that's all neat and tidy, right? Like it's it's an evolution, very dynamic metamorphosis that's happening that is alive. Um, so how can you, yeah, how can you make space for that? But also, it's not a a failure or something. If you don't get there, it's you know how do we honor the process or invite people into the evolution? So Kim, we just want to say that we hope. <laughs> We full body listen to you <laughs> podcast. If we failed, wait, I, I was right in the middle of a full body listen just then. Yeah, Adam. If we failed, um, you can give us notes on how okay. we can become better listeners. Um, can, if people want to find you, what's the best way to find you? Can they find you on social media? Do they, do they, do they have a website? Yes, I'm on Facebook. It's just my name, Kim Mutiera. Um, By the way, yes, Mutiera. <laughs> those who are not hip to it as two r's in the middle so it's not m-u-h my friends that's mm. right thank you thank you m-u-r-r-i-e-r-a but, but the Correct. second r but the second r is silent it's rolled there's a lot of r's um so yes or my two the two websites createyourselfawake.com that's my six month course. And then evolutionarybiography.com is my biographical counseling and group work site. So you can contact me through both of those sites as well. Um, Excellent. Awesome. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you so much you. Um, for coming you. on. Great. I'm so glad we did this. It's, it's, yeah. 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 I feel like this is a long time coming and I'm glad that you guys connected because when I first met you, Kim, I thought you should talk to Joshua. I think uh -huh. I may have even said that too. Probably, <laughs> so, but you know, so, life 
Um, I'm really glad we made this happen. And I just want to say thanks because it has reminded me of all the wonderful work you do and uh, how I miss Kawhi. <laughs> Thanks. It was so good to see you again. It's so nice to finally connect, Joshua. Likewise, yeah. Beautiful. Thanks beautiful. for what you two do. Thank you. Yeah, Being a, a pillar in the creative community of the world. Pillars.